Republican Party yesterday, I think someone told me, uh, hopefully this is the right count, uh, 28 uh, came. Um, I know we had 162 boxes, but I think we've had some boxes come in today, uh, so you kind of get the idea. And so uh, about 160, that's wonderful. And so we're very grateful uh, for all of you who contributed, um, and thank you in advance for those of you who are going to help to be able to load these and get them to where they need to be to the distribution center. Um, yeah, Larry, I'm with you. This is a this is a wonderfully generous giving church, and it's a it's a joy for me to pastor. And I'd like for you, if you would, to take your Bibles. We're going to be in Mark chapter seven this morning as we get into the Word. So I um, I was seeing how long um, Dr. Burke had been in ministry, and uh, he graduated from Southwestern Seminary, I believe, back in the late 50s. And so he's been in ministry for a long, long time, and I am grateful for the seeds that he planted here and the, the love for the Word and the love for, for this city, and uh, happy to take the baton as best I can. So you pray for me as well. So while we stand, Mark chapter 7, this is how we honor God's Word. One of the many ways, I hope, not just standing, but actually listening and heeding and living what His Word has to say to us. Beginning in verse 1 of Mark chapter 7, it says this, Now when the Pharisees gathered to Him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of His disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he, he being Jesus, said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, the people honor, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me all of you and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For, for from within... 
For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So every institution, over time develops a particular and a unique culture. That can be with schools, that can be with government institutions, that can be with businesses, that can be with nonprofits, and that can be with churches as well. Each institution operates by a specific set of values, whether those values are stated or whether those values just arise up organically. And that's how churches move and function, churches, businesses, schools, and how they operate. That's how it goes. And so for churches, we can't always assume that we're going to stay faithful without an intentionality to be continually driven back to what his word is saying to us. If we begin to take the word of God for granted, oh, I learned that when I was a kid. Oh, I know that so well. I did Bible drill when I was little. Oh, this, oh, that, oh, this. We begin to risk and be tempted to take the word of God for granted and let it slide. But if a tradition begins to develop in order for a particular institution to remain unique and have a certain identity, then the passion goes from listening to what God is saying in his word, that kind of ebbs and goes away. But keeping that tradition, have you ever heard, preachers have said this all the time, have you ever heard this, the seven words of a dying church? We've never done it that way before. That sounded like eight because I stretched out before, but there's really seven words. We've never done it that way before. Or this is how we do things around here, son. This is how we do things around here, sister. And you begin to, you begin to find out very quickly where the values are. I used to joke every so often when it came to parenting that when it, you, know, you never know where the landmines are until you step on them. Well, you never know where the traditions are until you violate one. Whether they're in the scriptures or not, whether they're spoken or not, whether they're on the wall or not, whether they're on a piece of paper or not, you know. Now, um, Spurgeon one time said that people can be very religious and yet still die in their sins. They may look very much like children of God and yet still be children of wrath. Many unconverted people have beliefs which are similar to true biblical faith, and yet they do not have true faith. Certain people exhibit religious feelings which have the warmth of spiritual love but are quite empty of God's grace. Every grace can be counterfeited as jewels can be imitated. As glass gems are wonderfully like real stones, so imitation graces are marvelously like the work of the Spirit of God. In matters of the soul, a man will need to have all his sense about him, or he will soon deceive his own heart. It is to be feared that many are already mistaken and will never discover their delusion until their eyes are open in the eternal world, where they will indeed face terrible disappointment. A child dead in sin to his son, sinful human nature may be carefully washed by his mother, but this will not make the child a living child of grace. The life of God within the soul creates an infinite difference between the person who has it and the one who does not. The point is to make sure that we have this life. And this is what this passage is all about. Jesus saved a lot of his, if you want to use the word venom, 
you can, but you want to save a lot of his ire for what was going on with what the religious leaders were teaching these folks. They began to use these traditions as a way, not, not just to uh, fence in the word, but to protect God's people. But what ended up happening was those fences and those protections ended up being more burdensome. Remember when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Well, when you begin to be legalistic in these ways that these Pharisees were being, then what they were doing was they were adding so many burdens to them, all the while validating themselves. See, look how spiritual we are. Don't you see it? But what what we have to realize is God's the one that sees the heart. All the way back in 1 Samuel, um, you can be deceived by man's appearance, but God is the one that sees your heart. And we have to ask ourselves where our hearts are this morning. So let's take a look at what this passage is telling us. A few things here. Number one, the Word speaks to us, and we need to understand what's happening. This is a template that is all through Scripture, is that there are times when the Bible does not want us to take for granted exactly what's going on. Now, there may be times when it doesn't say a lot. That's because the original audience was so immersed in the culture, there wasn't any need to explain. We need to come back along and realize what the background is, what the historical context is, and what's going on with the original ones who are hearing what's happening. And so when you're looking at this, Mark was not being written to the Jews. Otherwise, there wouldn't need to be this explanation. You see the parenthesis in verses 3 and 4? That's because it was written to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were probably reading this. And they were looking at it and they were saying, why in the world are they so concerned about washing hands? I mean, I remember that when I was a little kid, my mom would always want me to wash my hands before I ate a meal. Well, it wasn't a hygiene issue. Again, you you look at verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him and some of the scribes who were with them, well, now the tradition police were coming along. The religious police were coming along because they were looking at Jesus from afar, but now they were starting to hunt him down. And, and, and encounter him right where he was. And so we, when we begin to understand what's going on, there, there was a group of oral laws that had been compiled by the end of the second century AD called the Mishnah. And for 186 of those pages, it was talking about the cleannesses or the ritual washings. Did you, did you hear, if you were paying attention, did you hear how many pages they devoted to washings? 186. Now, originally it was for the priests. You read Exodus 30 and you see that there's ways that the priests were supposed to wash. But by the second century BC, so long before Jesus' time, pious Jews were coming along and saying, well, that was good enough for the priests. Well, I want to show that I'm something and I'm really religious. And so they started doing this. And a Jewish commentator helped us, helped me to understand this, hopefully helps us to understand it. He said, in the marketplace, one may ceremonially touch impure things, and the impurity is removed by rinsing up to the wrist. So it wasn't just washing the hands. It's like when you're watching on MASH or these doctor's programs, all the way up to the elbow, all the way up to the wrist, ultimately. Orthodox Jews today they observed this before meals, and the rationale has for it nothing to do with hygiene, but is based on the idea that a man's home is his temple. Hear the language here? With the dining table as his altar, the food his sacrifice, and himself as the Kohen or the priest. 
And since the Tanakh requires the Kohanim or the priests to be ceremonially pure before the offering the sacrifices on the temple, the oral Torah requires the same before eating a meal. And this was one of so many things that they would have the people do they couldn't keep up. And so they believed that these outward issues were going to help them with their inward heart. And the fact is, is that we end up finding ourselves doing the exact same thing. If I do all of these things, and if I say all of these things and all that, our hearts could be very far from him. But if I do all of these things, then God's going to look at my good stuff and weigh the good and the bad. And then he'll see all this good stuff that I've done for him and he'll let me in. Well, then why would Christ have needed to come if that was even a possibility? We have to make sure that we are seeing things for what they truly are, not for what they hoped we hoped that they would be. So this is the word, and, and, and it wasn't just the washings. It's talking even then about the cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. This was an elaborate scheme that they had to help people be obedient and holy before him. But then the Pharisees began to actually ask the question. Here's the question. Number two, where the Pharisees speak to Jesus to try to help him. I wish I had put the quotes, the 80s called, right, with the little quotes. Uh, they, they wanted to help Jesus understand their traditions because obviously he was misinformed, but we're going to help him. And so he comes along and says, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Again, the tradition police. They weren't there to try, try to really um, help him along or to really inquire. It was an accusation. This was a question that was an accusation. This was a question that they, they didn't care really what the answer was unless the answer was right here. This is what we want you to say. Anything outside of that was off. But Jesus was about, was about to expose something is that they honestly felt like they were morally and, and religiously superior to anybody else. And that's very different from Jesus who had every reason to be morally and religiously superior. If we were in his position and someone argued with us, how dare you argue with me? I'm God, you're not. Really? You're going to do this? He never did that. In fact, you go back a couple of paragraphs to Mark chapter 6 and verse 34. Look at how Jesus approached the crowd. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. He had what? Compassion. It was a compassion that was burning in him. He felt it. It was in the, in the, in the lower regions of his gut. Compassion. Why? He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was now also not only showing where he was, but he was showing where these religious leaders were. These religious leaders were not interested in leading this rabble, this uneducated mob. They weren't interested in leading them. They were interested in, le in leveraging them for their own good. And we got to be sure that we're aware of that when we see this in our culture, right? When we see people talking about and, and, and wanting you to raise money, raise money, raise money, raise money, and to, and to pad the coffers of themselves and to pad the coffers of their church all the while they may be struggling elsewhere. Some people use and leverage people for their own benefit even now and we've got to be aware of that and how dare they do that in the name of christ we look at this 
And we see what's, we see what's happening. Jesus, who had every reason to act superior, yet he didn't. And Jesus now is going to start leaning in and give them the business as well. And they need it. And every so often we need it as well. Well, Jesus wasn't being very nice here. You know, sometimes nice isn't nice. Sometimes we need to be confronted with truth. And this is what Jesus was doing to these religious leaders. Here's the third question, or the third issue, how Jesus responds to the Pharisees. His word means more than their word, and, and they, they would not accept this. But his word, because he is the king of kings and lord of lords, what he says, we listen to. He says in verse 6, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, the Pharisees would teach us in the the synagogue every single week, over and over. I mean, or or at least what what attached to that is from Isaiah 29, 13. And of course, when we are, when our consciences are seared and someone comes to us with something, well, that's talking about that guy. That's not talking about me. I would encourage you that every time you read the word, you put it to yourself first, rather than looking at, well, when you read the word, if you read the word and the first thing that you're thinking about is, boy, I hope someone else reads that, you've got problems. I've been there. We've all been there. We've got to make sure we're applying the word to us. But that was something that the Pharisees never did. They thought that they had already achieved maximum holiness. So why did they need to be confronted by anything? But Jesus is saying here, you leave, and and here's what he's saying. You leave the commandment of God to hold to the tradition of men. He goes on, he's talking about in verse 9 how they have a fine way of rejecting the word of God. And the, the word rejecting is a disregard or a nullifying. That they were using their own tradition and ways of doing things in order to completely nullify the way that God is calling us to do things. Jeff Christofferson, a number of years ago, confronted us with a question I've confronted with you every so often. I still have to think about it. What would the church look like if Jesus had his way? But you know how sometimes some of us, especially that may be influential, you know what we ask? What would the church look like if it, if it did it my way? We want sometimes things to go our way so much that we don't have room to even in our minds and in our hearts to even think about what God wants. And that's where we need to repent and to empty ourselves of ourself so that we, it would be all of God and none of us. He must increase. We must decrease. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And then later on, he's talking about making void. So he's, like, he's saying, you leave the commandment, you reject it, nullify it, and you make it void. See, what happens is, is that over time, especially if we've been in a church for a long time and we've had a, a say in directing the culture of the church, what can happen is we can look at the word, I know the word, I got it, and we look at the word like this with open hand. And when you have something in your hand and it's open, what will happen? It'll just run out. We need to hold to the word like this. And a number of years ago, I used to talk about the PATs. Remember those? The preferences and agendas that's not point after touchdown preferences agenda traditions and sometimes we hold on to those like this is the way it should be this is how you should act and you know you know who's informing that you are or i am not the word but we are 
And we hold to those things really tight. This is how you should behave. This is how you should be. This is how you should go. And we need to do it like this. And we need to take our PATs and say, God, is this according to your word? And if it is, I'll hold on to it. If it's not, I'm going to let it run out into the ground and into the drain and out of here. I don't want to be a part of it. But what happened over time was the Pharisees let the word go. We can do the same thing. We can let the word go, but we hold on to how we think things should go. And he gives a concrete example. Now, I'm always appreciative of that because every so often somebody comes up to me and they say, well, there's something going on here and there's something like this and this happens a lot, a lot, a lot. And I'm like, well, can you give me an example? I will always ask you for an example. I will always ask you who said it. Please don't come to me and not tell if if people are talking. Okay. Is it you and whoever's in the mirror? Is that who's talking? Yeah. I'm going to ask for names. So hopefully this is a deterrent for you, for some of you. I'm going to ask for names and I'm going to ask for something concrete. And then we're going to have the conversation because it could be just a preference or an agenda or a tradition that you may have held on to. And it may not be according to the word. We've got to get under the word. And so Jesus gives a concrete example because I know the Pharisees are like, well, give me an example. Okay, I'll give you an example. And it's an example that was especially egregious because it was against their own parents. You go back and he says in verse 10, for Moses says, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever would have been gained from me is Corban. That is a gift of God. Then it says that you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. See, they were using something that was against the commandment of God to make themselves look more holy. And we've got to make sure that we're not doing that. I'll give you an example. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. Yeah, but I took a a spiritual gifts test and I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, one... Evangelism is not a gift. Evangelism is a command. That's where, the, that's where those tests sometimes add to the word of God. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I really am not. No, 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 no. We're all called to be evangelistic. Right? Well, I, you, and you can come up with all sorts of reasons and ways that we can justify in our minds thinking we're being holy, using holy language to be actually disobedient. And so we've got to evaluate all that we are and all that we're doing all the time. That's why Paul was saying, examine yourselves, test yourselves. Are you with me this morning? Examine yourselves, test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. This is the word of God we're hearing this morning, everybody. We've got to make sure that we are leaning into what God's calling us to do and be. And so a couple more here that we need to see. Number four, Jesus speaks to the onlooking people and he urges them to have ears to hear. He urges them to have ears to hear. Verse 14, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me all of you and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, some of you, you, if you're reading from the ESV, let's just, there's an elephant in the room. Did you know that? Um, where's verse 16? Now, 
Some of you are like, oh, the ES- yeah, some of you are like, I am outraged. Let's, 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 hold on, hang on, time out, hold on. Now, <laughs> verse 16, so passing down translations, manuscripts available at, at their disposal, right? And so sometimes the manuscripts, they all agree on 99.999%, right? So I want to address this, and some of you may be like, well, I didn't even see that until you said something. Now I'm bugged. Okay, got it. So the thing is, is that the, the, verse 16, I believe it may be in the King James, Textus Receptus, and some of the older, older manuscripts have verse 16 in there, which is which basically say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay. So that was, that was, that was inserted, and it's okay. It's still the word of God. They began to rely on more what I would say is more reliable manuscripts, more volume of manuscripts, and so that may not be there. So don't, don't, there, nobody's taking anything out of the Bible. Don't, they're all translations, they're all working to make sure we're, we're hearing everything that God is saying in his word. But yeah, um, you don't have to be an expert at math to know that after 15 comes 16, not 17. What's going on? That's what's going on. But that is in the word, and Jesus has said that, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so we got that all out of our system. Okay, and now meanwhile, back at the ranch, here we are. We need to make sure that Jesus, what, we're modeling what Jesus is saying and not simply just talking to each other. So when I prepare a sermon, I know that it's going to be the church of Jesus Christ that's going to be getting together. And there may be others that may not be followers of Jesus, but they're going to be here anyway. But I am, my goal is to make sure that the church, number one, the church of Jesus Christ is strengthened. And then if there's others that are here, you're overhearing how we are strengthening people in Christ. In the meantime, you're going to see the beauty and the glory, I pray, of all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done. And so that by the Holy Spirit, maybe your hearts will be awakened to see the beauty and the glory and the joy that he is. Now, And there will be times, if you've been here, you'll know that I'm going to be talking straight to you. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and then I'll say something. But what Jesus is doing, he's given us a model for not simply talking to those that are in our own little holy huddle. Gospel conversations are something that we are hoping will begin to take place more and more. I'm stunned at us as Southern Baptists that, we, that many of us have not shared our faith over the past year. And that's, not, I'm not, that's not an ARBC thing. I'm talking about convention-wide. And why? Because Jesus always was talking to people that weren't a part of his family yet. But he was still making sure that they heard truth and that those seeds were planted. We need to be doing the same thing and not to be afraid of that. People are not hesitant in our culture to tell us what they believe. Why are we hesitant to tell them? Are we so wanting to people please that we're going to be holding back the truth of Jesus Christ? My goodness, we've got to make sure that we're being careful about that. Because 1 Peter 4.17 reminds us that judgment begins at the house of God. That's where it's going to, when Jesus comes and, and begins that judgment, it's going to come to us. We are called to connect all people, not just Christians, all people to the truth and hope in Jesus. We have a mission field that we are surrounded by people that do not know the name of Christ. And God's going to provide us opportunities, or maybe we need to provide those opportunities in, in the strength of Christ. He's going to give us those possibilities, and we need to be aware, antenna up, ready to take advantage of them. And so Jesus was very aware of the people that were around him, and he said that, that quick thing. 
in the parallel passage in Matthew verses, Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 to 12, it says that as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He recognized the eternal destiny of those that do not know Jesus. Now, not everybody's going to want to hear it, but that doesn't mean that we're going to make that decision for them as far as them hearing it. We're going to give them the opportunity, prayerfully give them the opportunity to hear all that Jesus is and all that he has done. But here's the last part for us, and we really need to make sure that we're hearing this, that Jesus speaks to his disciples. He opens his word for his people to understand. So when he had entered the house, he left the people, and his disciples asked him about the parable. Remember, this is lab work, right? And he's saying, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters his heart, but his stu- enters not his heart, rather, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And every so often, I haven't had this happen while in Colorado, but every so often I have people come to me and, you know, if, I, if I'm enjoying bacon or if I'm enjoying something along that line, every so often someone, you know, well, those, you know Old Testament says that's unclean. Jesus says it's clean. The, why, why were foods considered unclean by God's command? Well, foods are considered unclean by God's command we, we see in Acts 10, one of, the, one of the lessons. The lesson was in Acts 10, it's a long chapter, I'll try to summarize. Peter was up on the top of his house praying, and the Lord showed himself to Peter, and this sheet comes down with all of these unclean animals, and what does God tell Peter to do? Kill and eat. Hmm. Lord, I've never done this. I am a good, upstanding Orthodox Jew, I don't do this. Two more times it happened. Kill and eat. And finally, the lesson was, was, was driven home because there was a thought that the Jews were clean because God had given them the covenants and the promises and, and the prophets and ultimately Christ, as Romans 9 says. And the Gentiles were considered unclean. The reason the distinction between clean and unclean was very simple is because there were practices that the the Jews were the Gentiles were doing that the Jews were there by their diet and by their activities were to distinguish them from the false gods and the false worship that was going on elsewhere but now that Christ has come Christ came not only to those who were near but he was going to go to those who were far the Gentiles and so the lesson was going to be that he was showing them was not only are all foods clean Well, I don't like that. Well, Jesus is saying that. Please take it up with him. I'm delivering the mail. All foods are clean, but all people now can be clean. All people can be spiritually clean, whether they are Jew or Gentile or whoever. That that breaks down all political barriers. That breaks down all social barriers. That breaks down all racial barriers. That breaks it all down. Everybody can be clean. Quit putting these lines of demarcation about who you think can be clean. And who you think shouldn't be clean. He's showing us this. 
And he, but then he gets back to it and he says, this is what makes you unclean. It's your heart. And out of your heart, uh, either John Calvin or John Owen said that your heart is an idol-making factory. There is constant sin that your heart is producing. And what is he saying? That's what comes out of a person. Well, from within, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. And if you struggle with evil thoughts ever, okay, some of you are honest. Excellent. Excellent. Good job. Good job. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Time out. Those of us that grew up in a church culture, I really honestly believe, and I, I, I've just seen this happen so much, where people honestly think that Christ saved them because they were so great already. <laughs> How do you spell that? I'm sorry. Yeah. But yeah, that they thought they were so great already. You know, and I've, I've, I've used this line before, God didn't really have to work that hard on me. He just had to do a little tweak here. No, we are sinners from the top of our ever-balding heads to the bottom of our ever-balding feet. We are sinners, full, complete. In sin did my mother conceive me. David said that, a man after God's own heart. We are in sin, and therefore we need to be in Christ who rescues us from our sin. And so those of you that are like, well, I really wasn't that bad when Christ saved me. I was pretty good. Then you have just violated one of these tenets here. It's the second one from the last. Which one is it? I'm going to make you look at your Bibles. What does it say? What's the second to the last one in that list? Pride. He didn't have to work that hard on me. You know, there's aspects of that sin sometimes looks really righteous, and even Satan shows himself as an angel of light. I'm not saying you're Satan. I'm saying that Satan can deceive you. He deceives us as an angel of light masquerading that way, and he can make us think that we're that way too. And all I really, I just need to do that one little thing so I can go to heaven. No, you need a complete and total workover. Your heart, your mind, your will completely needs to change because it is going toward you. Look how great I am, Jesus. You don't have to work that hard. I, 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 I. We have to make sure that we are seeing what God has called us to do and God has called us to be. There are, we can, and we can even leverage his word to glorify ourselves. That's what was going on here. So what, 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 are we, what are we saying here? What we're saying here is what Romans 2, 28 and 29 says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. And I think we can say without changing the word of God or the sense of the text, that no one is a Christian who is one merely outwardly. What do you look like Monday through Saturday? What do you look like when you're by yourself? What's going on in your thought life? What are you into and looking at and being a part of when no one else sees you? Because who you are in private, that's who you are. That's called character. It says, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, his praise is from man, is not from man, but from God. There has to be a circumcision of the heart where the flesh is cut away so that the spirit is reigning full and free. 
So when you see the Word of God, are you saying, Lord, change me based upon what your Word is saying? Or are you saying, well, I, I look pretty good there, but I hope they get it. When, when you look at the Word of God, is the Word of God precious to you? And you're passionate about it, but you're holding on to those traditions very loosely? Well, you're in a good spot. But if the Word is not much to you during the week, you don't crack your Bible open un, un, until Sunday, and some of you may not even bring your Bibles anymore. That's a, that can be an indicator. If you don't bring your Bibles anymore and you don't open your Bibles during the week, but man, if something doesn't go your way when the people of God are gathered together and that fires you up, if that's the case with you, and some of you maybe think, well, he's got somebody in mind. Nope. This is all principle. I do not have anybody in particular in mind, but I know it's a temptation that can come to all of us. Be aware of what is happening in your heart and in your mind and get out in front of it with the word of God. Get out in front of it by the spirit of God. Talk to somebody that you trust and you say, you know, there's something that's kind of working in the pipes right now. And may God help us to make sure that we're not by our traditions, even if they may be religious traditions, that we're not voiding out the word of God and voiding out the preciousness of all that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. We all need Jesus. We all need to be repenting. We all need to be coming to him every single day. And maybe this morning, by the word of God, that the spirit is moving in you and working in you. Don't leave this place until you get things well and right before him. So I want to pray for you. As I'm praying for you, don't be thinking about, boy, I hope somebody else heard that. Absorb the word of God into your heart and mind and spirit and say, Lord, what are you trying to show me? And if he's showing you something, that's a good thing. May not feel very good at the time, but that's a good thing because he's moving and working and bringing you to where you need to be. Heavenly Father, guide us in all that we do and say and help us, Lord, with the traditions that may so engulf us. Because those traditions, if they're not grounded on your word, they're grounded on self. They're grounded on our word. And Lord, we don't want that. We, we don't want that. We've been wrong personally and maybe even as an organization, as, a, as an institution, we've been wrong many times. We don't always get it right, but we know you do. And so everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think, we are going to take it with open hand to you and say, Lord, what, what should I do with this? Is this right? Is this according to your word? Show me what I should do. Take me where I need to be. And if it's something I should hold on to, I'll gladly hold on to it. But if it's something I need to let go, I will let it go so my hands are free to grab your word and to move forward with what you've called me to do and called me to be. Lord, I don't know what's going on in everyone's heart today, but I pray that this would be the morning that we would get our lives right with you. Guide us in all that we do and say, And help us, Lord, with what you've commanded us. Not making the word void by our word, but, Lord, by leaning into what you have to say in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. His word says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be, not could be, will be saved. And some of you, you may have never called upon Jesus to save you. This is the morning to do so. 
But some of you, you may have drifted. You may have at one time said, I've, I, I called on Christ to save me, but I've let life and my own cares and my own this and my own that cause me to drift. And it's exhausting. It's tiresome. It's frustrating. I want to come back to Christ. Let this be the morning. Don't make the word void by what everybody else is saying or even what you're saying. Lean into what God is saying in his word. Let's stand together as we sing this wonderful hymn, Footsteps of Jesus.